I did do a, a gateway story this morning, but I want, to, I want to do one unique to you. And if I can, can I just speak to the lady? So could you put the first slide up? All that you need to know about this slide is that it was put together for me by a guy called Anthony Jackson. Now, you've got to listen to me very seriously, girls. Because Anthony Jackson came from Preston, uh, he came at 18, came to the university, stayed and did his master's degree. And he's just coming to the end of doing his master's degree in art. But what he did, girls, is that he fell in love whilst in Wrexham. And he met a girl from Northern Ireland and he's, uh, he's about to get married. But what happened is this. I want you to go with me with this. So if you can imagine, if you look directly west from Wrexham, you can see the rise of the Welsh mountains and his idea was that he would propose as the sunset over these mountains. And he would do this in the grounds of a National Trust building so that it would be romantic and atmospheric and he'd planned it. So what he did is that not only did he plan this sun-setting girls, romantic setting, what he did is that he decided that the best way to propose was via a treasure hunt. So his, his future girlfriend would find different things on the way and eventually what would happen is that the final one would be, will you marry me? Can you imagine anything? So you've never done anything like this in your life. This is new to you. I'm seeing that. He's looking at me going, What? I just bought her a McDonald's and said, you know, <laughs> this sort of thing. So anyway, he goes out in the early evening and he plans the treasure hunt in the field. And he puts out things like things to eat, flowers, candles, all these sort of things. There's six items to get to the final thing. What he did, then he walked back into Wrexham to pick the girl up. And as he walked back, what he didn't know was that the farmer had opened the gate and led a herd of cows into the field, who not only ate all the messages, but some of the food, some of the candles, and some of the flowers that, that were prepared. So she got some stalks. So in the end, he had to revisit his proposal, which he'd planned for months, because what happened is that the cows ate all the treasure hunt items, and in the end, he had to explain why she was in a cow field in the middle of Wrexham as the sun was going down over the things. But eventually, he did propose, and we were able to announce it last Sunday. So we do intend good things, us guys, but we sometimes just get it wrong. It's just so, that's Anthony Jackson. So, um, I want to just speak this morning on the, uh, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So, if you've got a Bible, would you like to turn to chapter 4? We're going to read just 13 verses. Where it says in chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Mountain shall not live by bread alone, 
And the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune moment. So I want to ask a question right at the very beginning. Jesus superhero or just a man there's a view today isn't there amongst Christians maybe even over here to the left not on the right hand side just on the left over here this guy over here just that guy yeah (laughs) that Jesus is actually something like a a comic book superhero Uh, our leaders uh, uh, one of our leaders has a, a little bit of obsession with Iron Man. I think he thinks that he is Iron Man. And that, that sort of Jesus is able to turn on power and strength and ability in every and any situation. That actually he, he looks like us, but he isn't really like us. He's different. That... Underneath the exterior of sort of sandals or white magnolia-looking garb and a beard, actually he's all-powerful. And the other problem with this is, I don't know if you found this when you read your comic book. It's not the Lord, by the way, I'm just picking on you. Whether you, when you read your comic book things, is that the comic book hero always goes through some sort of ferocious battle at the end and saves the weak person, particularly the, the, the girl or something like that, and saves humanity. My, my wife, when we watch these sort of things together, she's always worried about the mess. Who will clear up the mess when the battle's gone? So when we watch things like Lord of the Rings or something like that, I'm, I'm exhausted, but Callie's going, who's, who's going to clean that up? But actually, the superhero is, is one. And the trouble is with that is that it so looks like Jesus, doesn't it? It gives us this idea of an image of Jesus. I don't know whether you're aware of this, that the, the directors of the last two Superman films decided to play on your emotions, and particularly the emotions and the, thing, and the thinking of Christians. And they decided to use religious symbolism to push it a little bit further so that you might uh, grasp all that goes on in terms of this guy. Have we got a picture of him? This guy, Superman. Which actually is me. If I take the shirt off, that's what I look like. (laughs) Why did you laugh? This is just a disguise. And Superman, actually, well, I don't know where you probably know, this was born of Cal, the only son from the house of El. 
and he was sent to earth by his Father to save it. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was sent to earth to save it. And the trouble is that that's the imagery we get, but I think it's not the imagery of the Gospels. I don't think that's the Jesus that we find and meet in the Gospels. And Luke had reminded us right at the very beginning that actually Jesus is from the family of Adam. That he had an earthly mother, just like you and I. I've got a mum. Well, I did have a mum. She died now. And my mum's name was Nancy. I had a mum. You find that hard to believe, don't you? But I did. I did. She gave birth to me. And Jesus had a real mum. I don't know what language he said how it came out, mum, but he would have said, mum, to Mary. And the whole point of the genealogy is for us to grasp that bit that you read where it goes all the way through those generations. It's for us to grasp that Jesus was fully human. That Jesus was in a human body and that he had human emotions and that he had a human mind and he had a, a human will just like you and I. And this wouldn't compromise with his deity but it was there. And when the word became flesh and when the eternal son of God came he took on full humanity, not humanity in part. He was fully human in all that he did. Everything that he did. And Luke underlines this. And it will be the humanity of Jesus that we will see in the wilderness. And particularly in this that we're going to look at this, this morning where he's tempted. He was tempted as a person fully human. And if Jesus is a descendant of Adam, coming from the line of Adam, now he must face what Adam faced. Now he must put right what Adam failed to put right. But things have changed slightly because the devil's got confidence. Because after generation after generation and after generation, the devil has got used to winning. He's got used to twisting the minds of human beings. He's got used to winning these battles of sin and rebellion. And the two of them are going to come together. And he got used to not losing and having his own way. So before Jesus enters into the, the wilderness, he would face two questions at his baptism. And the first question was this, what does it mean actually to be the son of God? Because suddenly at his baptism, God would speak to him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he would receive that. But what did that mean for a, a fully human being to understand that? And what did it mean for him to be the Messiah? How should he pursue that? Because John the Baptist had stood in front of him and said, this is my son in who, sorry, that's the wrong one. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You have to cut that bit out. You just got that wrong. But, and he, did, he stood in front of him and said, hold on. Okay. If we've got a ball, we can do this a bit more. If I'm, but you have to share your biscuit with me. He's not going to, is he? 
So we had to face these two things coming together. We can, I can, I don't, we can have coffee and I can play football if you like. It's, I'm not very good these days. Two things as a, as a human being. One, this is my son. And this is the Lamb of God. And the truth is that when those two things came, they would have challenged a whole group of people. Because there had been other people that before that had said that they were the Messiah. So Herod, of course, that we famously know, he thought that he was the king of Israel and made his ideas and plans known. But there had been another Messiah. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but there was a guy called Athronges. Don't you bless his mum for calling him that. And interestingly enough, Athronges was a shepherd. And of course, what had happened is that Israel was looking for a Messiah that was a shepherd, and Athronges was a shepherd. And this shepherd had four brothers. And he drew them together and he proclaimed to the people that he was the Messiah and the people believed him. So not only did he call people together, but he called an army and what they decided to do was now this is our time to attack the Romans and to be the true king of Israel. I will lead a a small, if you like, terrorist army and we will attack Rome and we will regain Israel for ourselves. And he couldn't do that en masse because the Roman army was massive and well organised. So he did it in sort of like little terrorist things. Just causing a little bit of problem and a disruption here. Well eventually the Romans got hold of him and after about two years they'd had enough. And they defeated him and they put him and his brothers to death. And Jesus now stands in front of not only himself but a people and he proclaims that he's the Messiah. So how would that be worked out? Well, let's take you to the temptations and the three temptations. The three temptations can be read as answers or to these questions. So let's clear something up first. It may be controversial. This is not a conversation with a physical person. The devil is a physical person. You can find that in some medieval pictures. I think I've got one for you somewhere. It looks a bit like that. The way that the devil would appear is the devil would appear as a string of ideas in his head. And these ideas would be plausible. These ideas would be attractive. These ideas would make a huge lot of sense. And isn't that how temptation works? That when temptation works, it sounds plausible, it is attractive, and it does make sense. Because if you think about it, the first question could be like this. Surely God doesn't want his son to be hungry, does he? The answer to that could be no. The second one could be, if God wants his son to be sovereign over the world, isn't this a great time to demonstrate it? And the third one, if God's son is the Messiah... Why don't we just take this opportunity to prove it? Why don't we nail it here and now? You see, temptation is always close to the truth and there is always a good argument to why you should do it. 
And the story that we are engaged in, this story of Jesus and his temptation, is actually a life changer. It's a historic moment. And it's a history changer for you every time that you overcome temptation. Do you know that? It isn't just that you're battling. Actually, you are overcoming so that God can release you into more and more of what he has got for you. Overcoming temptation is not some of these things, oh rats, I've got to fight this. No, it's releasing you much more into what God has got for you. But we're taken back and we're deliberately taken back to two different events in history. And they will be now acted out in the wilderness in Jesus. And the first part of history is that we're taken deliberately back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Where a serpent whispers plausible things about God into their ears. And then we're deliberately taken back to Israel in the wilderness. And Israel came out of Egypt through water, declaring this, that God was, sorry, God was declaring, this is my son, my firstborn. And what followed would be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness where Israel, they grumbled and moaned and flirted with idolatry and put God to the test. And now Jesus, now Jesus, who has just gone through his sea, would be in his wilderness. And as Adam had failed in the garden of Israel, and as Israel had failed in the wilderness, now these two events come back together and we stood at this moment in Jesus in the wilderness. Adam failed. And Jesus would overcome. And he would put to death past history. And he would open a way so that you and I can overcome and know victory over temptation. Magnificent. What a moment that we're in right now. Because this would bring liberation and freedom. would answer the question, how do I bring deliverance from my enemies? How do I defeat an arch enemy? How do I, how do I defeat the devil himself? So let's look then at defending, defeating, not defending, defeating temptation. Oh yeah, we got it. Okay. The answer is that that the devil is defeated, that temptation is defeated at an incredible personal and intimate level. It's very personal to you. Very intimate. It's often a private battle. It's often something that you are, are going through that's very private it's my experience that Christians we can do public very good we can have a public portrayal this is what I show we can even sometimes believe that the, the private is not as important as the public and that's another lie that, that God whispers in your ear don't believe that if the spirit is working through you The major changes in your life, they may be unseen. But they'll be seen by God. 
They just will. It's how it works. The things that only God sees. And here's the interesting thing. If Jesus could not win this personal, private battle in the wilderness, then his ministry carries no weight whatsoever. And we need to hear that. People that feel that they're called to some level of ministry. That your level of ministry, the level in which you serve God, is founded in the personal and private relationship with God. That's how it works. That's how it is. So Jesus responds to the devil. He doesn't argue with him or invite him for further comment. See, arguing with temptation is often a way of sort of like negotiating with the idea. And then it sort of leads you to a little bit more negotiating until actually the issue itself is quite attractive and you can't see any reason why you can't do it anyway. It's interesting that these passages that, he, that we read here in the temptation, Jesus will draw from Israel's failure in the wilderness recover what God had said and use them against the devil to bring this victory. But let's deal with some of the issues in a nutshell. Let's be a little bit challenging. So we, do you mind being a little bit uncomfortable? Okay. Then can you stand on one leg for 20 minutes? No. Okay. Here they are. Are you ready, church? just going to make you uncomfortable just for a little bit. Here's the first issue. The first issue is this, that physical needs, your physical needs are very important, but loyalty to God is more important. Ooh. Okay. Just squirm a little bit. This is, this is, how, this is how Jesus won. Secondly... Jesus will become Lord of the earth, but the true path of that is not through status or power, but by humility and being a servant. True greatness is not by power, but how much you serve and how humble you are. Third one is that trusting God doesn't mean acting stupidly or by forcing God to do spectacular rescues for you. Come on, God. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do these spectacular things for me. Now, you might not experience all of those things, but I want to suggest that you might experience some of those things. But let's go back to this. Jesus is fully human. And he's facing these things and he's facing them in the wilderness. In the same way that you will face temptation. Because he's fully human, but he tells us that he comes and he enters the the wilderness as a man full of the Spirit. And there's no difference to the Jesus that's standing in that wilderness, to the Jesus, to the person that's standing or sitting in the chair today, this morning. People fully human, full of the Spirit of God. 
The same spirit is available for you to conquer, to win, to have victory, as was available to Jesus at that point. And he will shortly display that power by bringing people healing and deliverance. Not as a ministry, but as a man fully human, full of the Spirit. He would use his power not for cheap stunts so that he can get his name in bright lights, but so that he can rescue people that need help and he can restore them and see them restored. See, it wasn't really about him. Even though he was the son of God, it was about what he would bring to a people whom he would serve. And even his status as the son of God, he didn't use that so he could have a few stunts and a few magic tricks and a bit of prestige. Strangely, he took the choice of humility and servanthood and even death to conquer. What does victory over temptation look like? It looks like humility. It looks like servanthood. It looks like death. And the enemy will return, and we'll go there in a minute. But at this point, the enemy will leave him, but he will come back. And he will leave him just for a while, but he'll return to him when he's on the cross. So let's look then at Satan defeated. And we'll take you to the cross. And on the cross is the man Jesus, the man fully human, the man whose back has been scourged, the man who is facing nails in his hands and his feet. The the man who has a crown of thorns upon his head. And all of those things that he's experiencing on the cross, he's experiencing them just like like you would experience them if you were nailed there too. Not only is he nailed to the cross, but he's going to be separated from his father for moments and he would cry out on on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, apparently, if you are the devil, is this is the most weakest point to attack. And that's exactly what happens. The devil will always attack at your weakest point. He will attack at your priority points. What are your priorities? And for Jesus, the priority was to die for a people. And here's his priorities. And the devil comes and attacks him on his priorities. And the devil will always attack you on yours too. Where are your priorities in life? So let's go to the cross then. Romans chapter 16 tells us this and it's, it's Apostle Paul writing but what he's doing is that he's writing almost declaring to the devil and he says this, the day is coming when you, not just your offspring, will be defeated and removed from the earth. And he says this wonderful statement and the offspring of a woman will crush you. The offspring of a woman. Hey, Do you know that's wonderful encouragement for you and I? 
It's wonderful encouragement because we can know that we can crush. How? Because we too are the offspring of a woman. <laughs> I'm just Nancy Lloyd's boy. That's all. But I can crush temptation because I'm the offspring of a woman, because I am in Christ. And a decisive blow was struck by the offspring of a woman when Jesus died on the cross. And one of the reasons that Jesus came wasn't just to die for our sins, but to crush Satan himself. And then, so we get to Colossians, and Colossians tells us what happened, what was going on at the cross at that point. And it describes what God did for those who trust in his son when he died. And as we go to the cross, we, we see this incredible thing that there's a record of debt that is owed by us all. And Jesus is taking it to the cross and Satan knows this record of debt. He knows what you've done, when you've done it, how you've behaved, even, if you, even what you thought. And Satan's got it in his hand. And Jesus sort of snatches it from his hand on the cross. And he says, and he set it aside, snatched it, and he nailed it to the cross. No longer are we in debt. Our sin is no longer in debt. And he nails it to the cross. And then just to make sure that Satan knows who is boss here, it says that he... He disarmed the rulers and authorities. All those rulers and authorities that had come after generation after generation, that had grown so confident, that had, that had raised their ugly heads generation after generation after generation, he just snatched their power from them. And it says and he made them incredibly shameful. They're just to bow. Oh no. They've gone. The, all the power that they had is gone. And the one destructive weapon that he had against us, that was this, that we are guilty. And our guilt means that we will die. And we will die with him, Satan. We will die. We're stripped from him. And when Jesus died... That accusation was absolutely and for all time nullified. That's why Paul can write into the Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because that was dealt with forever once on the cross. Gone. Gone. Taken from Satan. Placed in Jesus so that we can know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do you know that? <laughs> nothing can separate you. And now, well, you probably say to me, well, Nigel, I'm, I'm not in the wilderness. I haven't returned from Jordan. But you will be tempted. And I know this is not a great encouragement to you, but you will be tempted all your life. Sorry. I just want to be real with you. It's just really interesting that, um, that I've just been with my, or just before Christmas, my brother died. And I don't know whether you've ever been in a position with somebody dying, but you don't think they can sin. 
And I, I sat with my brother who was dying of cancer and was in an incredible amount of pain. And he said some things that he shouldn't have done. And I thought, oh, this is strange. Because you can tend to think, you know, because as you get older, you become more perfect. The young guy sins, the old guy is perfect. I want you to know this. Sitting with my brother, he sinned against me. He was downright naughty. And he shouldn't have said some of the things that he did. And you feel too, you know, so come on guys, particularly older ones, you are not perfect, by the way. And I know Dan would like to say that, but he can't. But I can say it on his behalf. So you will sin. So that we just need to understand that, that you, that will happen. You will be tempted. But part of being a Christian is that we understand that there will be whisperings in our ears that will cause us to be tempted all our lives. They are unbiblical and we stand against them with the word of God. I'm amazed that we as Christians are so defenceless. I think as if I had to say, what have you learned from Lewis or Rudgley or Wrexham? I would say this, that generally people don't read their Bible as much as they should. They listen to sermons, they watch things on whatever, but they don't read their Bibles. And if I've just made you squirm a little bit, I, I am out of here tonight, so it's all right. And I just want to recommend something to you. Can I recommend the Bible? It's fantastic. And it will help you. You should be into it every day. And more than once. Let it become life to you. It says this in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? And it says this, by guarding it against your word, according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Why do I store up your word? So that I can give wonderful contributions on a Sunday that sounds so theologically correct that the elders think that I must be the next, surely the, the next elder or apostle to, to Sheffield. No. You might think that you're impressing other people, but this is why you stir up, you store up the word of God, so that I might not sin against you. Read the word so that you don't sin. Incredible, isn't it? According to 1 John 3 verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I love the word destroy. We're going to take you on a little bit of a, a journey. It's a little bit like Anthony Jackson and the proposal, okay? So you've got to imagine. So all those creative people, you've now got to imagine with me. Is that okay? Are you creative? Just nod? Knitting or crochet or art or dancing? Expressive? <laughs> Fantastic. The end. If you, you can do this at the end, have you? Dan loves flags. It could be a word of the Lord, couldn't it? 
flag-waving church. Sheffield. I'll leave that with you, Dan. The word destroy actually means this. In the Greek, it means this. To loose, to unbind, to unravel, to dissolve. And I loved it on Friday night because we had a prophetic word about chains. I was very stirred because I thought, I'm going to talk about chains on Sunday. The idea is this, the the way that sin works is that it entwines us, that it wraps round us, becomes like a net or a tapestry and it gets round us, it gets in everywhere in our thinking. We become entwined with it. It's interconnected. And it says this, that Jesus came to undo the enemy's efforts, to pick it apart, to loose it, to drop the chains from you. The coming of Jesus was to do with unpicking this net of evil which traps us. Lord, come and unpick me. Come and work in my life that you might unpick me. Now, the Christian discipline of fighting temptation is not about hating yourself. I did that. I'm like that. No, that's not the way to do it. It's not about punishment either. Don't do that. It's not about guilt either. But it is by, by celebrating the fact that you have been chosen by God and that you are capable of overcoming and you are capable of being a conqueror. Do you know that? There is nothing that is in your life that you cannot, as a person full of the Spirit, conquer. You can conquer. You can win. You can know victory over even the things that have been historically there for many, many years because Jesus is, because you're filled with the Spirit person, is greater than. Always greater than. Your potential to conquer is magnificent and glorious and can be victorious. I want you to think like this. I, I was so... Impr- I don't know what your name is. I'm just going just to... Uh, Simon. Simon. I was so impressed with Simon leading worship. Did you not... I love I loved the fact that we were just lost in Jesus and lost that. But, but actually, he's not bad, is he? Did you not think he's not bad? He's sort of all right, isn't he? I did notice that we played it either in G, C or D, that, you know, the, the three chords that you've learned to play well, you play time and time again. But can I ask you a question, Simon? How old are you when you picked that up uh, last week? Oh, last week? No, you didn't pick it up last week, did you? How old were you when you picked up an instrument? Uh, Twelve. And how are you now? Thirteen, fourteen? Thirty-five. So you've been playing that for how many years? Uh, 23 years. How much practice did you do in the early days? Uh, lots. Lots. Yeah. On your own? Yeah. Time and time again? Yeah. Okay, how many chords do you think that you can play now? <laughs> Maybe four. <laughs> I can play four. Yeah, I, I, I think variations. Keep going. Possibly. Hundreds. He can play hundreds of chords. And he's been playing in his bedroom for a long, long time. 
just to be able to do that. And occasionally, you let him out the bedroom and he can lead you in worship. You see, you need to learn to, you need to, learn to play and bring a melody of Jesus against temptation. But it's going to take discipline to do that. It's going to take discipline. And it might not happen overnight. You might clunk a little bit. Boom. But eventually, you'll learn to play. And it'll be a wonderful, victorious melody to God. Because at the heart of it, surely, is this. That you love God, you want to serve him, you want to do good for him. Do you not? Isn't that at heart? You just want to become more Christ-like. And I love that. So how do we confront temptation? I'm just going to try and do something. That I, I'm going to try and do something this morning that utterly failed. Because I, and I'm relying on you, Mary, to help me. You are my secret weapon in a minute. Because it went badly wrong this morning. But I'm, you, you are my saviour. Okay? I'm just relying on you. So how do we confront temptation? I just want to give you some punches. Some of them you'll like and some of them you won't. Here's the first one. What do you do? How do you confront temptation in our own lives? Firstly, expect it. Don't be caught out by it. Expect it. It's going to happen to you for all of your life. The Bible tells us this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening. Oh my goodness. I'm sinning. Mm-mm. Just expect it. First, secondly, endure it. Don't go, oh no, I can't go to core group prayer meeting, can't serve on the coffee rotor, can't, because I'm being tempted. I'm in the middle of temptation, don't you understand? No, endure it. That's what the Bible tells us to do. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The church needs some people who will have some backbone and endure some things for the, for, because God is gracious and wonderful and I'm going to endure it. I'm not going to give up and shrink back. I'm going to go through and keep pressing ahead. Thirdly, how about giving thanks for it? Have you thought about that one? <laughs> oh, more Lord. More batterings. It says this in the Bible, doesn't it? Give thanks To God for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be good, wouldn't it? (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that you are putting me under temptation. I love it. It's entirely up to you. I'll let Dan do it. The other one is this hate it, love it, love, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Hate it. Don't court it. Hate it. I hate this thing that is. Causing me to sin. Pray for an escape for it. Lead us not into temptation. Expose it. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let me just suggest something that I, would, that I often say from the front of our church, that it's okay in your, you, you call them core groups, we call them connect groups, to actually in your core group or connect group to say, I am struggling with this, can you pray? And for the, the other ten to not go, I unrighteous, unrighteous. Come on guys, we've got to live real together. 
We need to be real together. We need to pray for one another. If they've exposed it, pray together. They're just being honest with, with us. Let's do, let's do that. Overcome it with good. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Instead of withdrawing because you are struggling, this is the moment for you to do more. To go and ask the elders and say, I'm really struggling with temptation. What can I do for you to serve the church? Hmm? See, that's counter thinking, is it? Oh, I'm struggling with my... You don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, we do. What we're going to do is ask you to clean the windows. We're going to occupy your mind. We're going to occupy your heart. We're going to give you something to do. It's the opposite. It's a kingdom value. We're going to treat with it in terms of kingdom. Oh, no, I'm struggling. No. Okay, here it is. Here's a bucket. Overcome it with good. And of course, resist it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want to sing something over you. And I'm rubbish. I wish you could sing it over, but I, I'm just rubbish. This is Mary. This is our moment. This is our moment. I want to sing something over you. I want to do that almost so that you might... Un- I want to impart something to you by singing it over you. Are, are you up for that? I'm not. <laughs> Mary, we're just going to have a... Excuse us. Mary, do you know the hymn, Join All the Glorious Names? Don't hesitate. Please don't hesitate. Vaguely? Oh, no. I I know it's very old, but you and I are very old. (laughs) I, I know that these young ones just sing... Red Matman and stuff like that. Just... But you, you and I know truth. We don't sing theological dubious things. We sing truth. Is there any... You can't remember it. I'll need help. Is there anybody here that knows the hymn, Join All the Glorious Names? This is what happened this morning. Where... Jason, do you know we could do it sort of flipping egg? I'm just going to have to do this, aren't I? I hate this. Come on, Mrs. Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) He's rubbish. I I don't know how he's made a career out of three chords myself, but. I mean, I mean, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I could have written that, I just didn't. It's in, the, it's in the Bible. Why did we need Matt Redman to put it to song? I've been singing it for 50 years, but I just... Anyway, no, don't get there. Do you not know this? <laughs> oh, no. Are we duetting? You've let me down badly, Mary. Anyway... In, in, oh no, I'm not. In, in, the, in the Join All the Glorious Names, which you will now learn in your connect groups for next Sunday, no core groups, the last verse goes like this. And it's something that I want you to know, something that I want you to take back with you. It says this Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage 
and malice on. I shall be safe, for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. Are you telling me you don't know this? He can't play rats. Should all burdens of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms and rage and malice on, I shall be safe, for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. You do know it, Mary, don't you? Pardon? I'm going to do it once more. Would you like to stand and then do you want to lead us? Is that what you do? I don't know. I just want God and you to know this. I want you to know that in the midst of all that you face, that Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. He will protect you. It's part of his nature. Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage and malice on, I shall be safe, for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. Just don't ask me to lead worship. I tell you what, I think we will make that our final hymn, marvellously led by Nigel and Callie. I'm just reminded of these scriptures. I'd like us to respond um, before we close. Reminded of this as well, as well as a passage we looked at in, in Luke. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father God, I want to thank you for what we've heard. I want to thank you for what you've reminded us today. Thank you, Lord God, that you're calling us through Jesus through his grace, to be overcomers. Lord God, not those who shrink back and uh, isolate ourselves, but those who take steps forward. Lord God, I want to thank you that when we approach you, we're approaching one who knows and who understands what it is to live life in our shoes on this planet. And so, Father God, we come to your throne expecting to receive grace. We can be confident because of who you are and what you've done. And, Father, I pray for us, Lord, for, 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 for all who kind of think, yeah, actually, this is speaking right into my here and now. I, Lord Jesus, I, thank, I pray that would you lead us in winning those private battles where the enemy would try and engage us in kind of an ongoing negotiation well, maybe you can accommodate this and you can do that and you can get away with that. Father, we want to just stand with our eyes fixed on Jesus and by the grace of God say no to temptation, expecting that, Lord, you're going to lead us on in bearing more fruit for you in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord God. Amen.